Hey, Tom Davis from Liverpool, England, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Hi, nice to meet you. It's really nice to meet you too. And I have a special announcement for our folks in the Tick Bootcamp community. My good friend, Khalil Tumanese is here with us today. So Khalil, let's say hi to the folks. Hey, everybody. How you doing? How you doing, Tom? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So, Tom, why don't we sort of get started? Let's talk about um, first, uh, you live uh, in Liverpool, England. It's a place that we're all familiar with, in large part because of the Beatles. So talk to us about Liverpool and uh, what the virtues are of living in Liverpool, England. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. I, I, I enjoy um, living in Liverpool. I've lived in Liverpool since I was about nine. But yeah, yeah, it's famous. It's famous for the Beatles, for the waterfront, for the lava building, the Liverpool Football Club as well. But yeah, I enjoy living here. I live right by the docks as well, just by the marina. So it's nice. It's it's good to go down for the jog and stuff there and for cycling and things. Prior to you getting sick, talk to us about what you were doing with your life professionally before your uh, your illness um, began to take hold. Yeah, yeah, cool. So I was I was working for a logistics company. So I was working for a chauffeur company, um, basically managing the booking systems. It was it was quite administration role so I was working in an office I was only training at the time because I don't, I don't literally only just started so I've been I've been doing the role for about three or four weeks um when I when I when I got the rash and um, when I had the rash and I was doing a little bit of DJing on the side as well um uh, with friends and stuff uh, just as a hobby um but yeah I, I got I got sick literally I hadn't even had me my first paycheck towards the end of the month so I hadn't even been paid um and I had to leave um and you know because at that point i didn't know what was wrong with me i just had a rush so yeah okay. so it's keeping quite busy and stuff so let's 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 now walk it back and talk a little bit more about your life before that job and i and i think that's a very interesting thing that we're going to note and we're going to footnote and, and and then come back to uh and, and some of the stresses that you may have been under as a new employee and what impact that may have had on your immune function and ultimately your illness but we're going to footnote that for now and let's walk it back a little bit further and talk about your life so you said you moved to liverpool when you were when you were approximately nine years old where were you from prior to moving to liverpool um so i, I, I my mom moved to spain when i was nine and before i was nine so you know leading up to like nine ten um, I lived half the week in Wigan and half the week in um, Liverpool, both still in the northwest. Um, and then when my mum moved to Spain, when I turned nine, I went to live with my dad in Liverpool because I didn't want to move abroad and go to school. So, um, so I lived a half the week in both. And then when I turned nine, I lived full time in Liverpool. I, and I, I grew up there, went to school, um, went to college, done my A levels, and then went to university in Liverpool, studied media. Um, for about three years and then I went to work on a, 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 a TV set called Hollyoaks I worked on Hollyoaks for like a year and um, I was just like behind the scenes working and designing like dressing the sets and stuff decorating and moving furniture and things like that um, and I'd done that for like a year and then I went into marketing I worked for a recycling company in marketing for about a year um, and then I worked for a bar I'd done bar, bar management for about two and a half years and while I was working the bar, it was a lot of late nights. It was DJing and then it was like running nights and private functions and, and things like that. So I was doing that from about 25 till about 28. Um, and then from 28 to 30, I worked in a hotel. So I was working in a hotel. I'd done days and then nights. So hospitality for about five years. Um, a little bit of DJing every now and again and that uh, with a few friends running events and things. And um, and then, yeah, and then when I left hospitality, I went to work for a company uh, doing logistics um, last year. So I started that last last August. Um, so, yeah, there's quite a, quite a lot going on um, last year leading up to being sick and things. Yeah, so you so you you were in the entertainment industry on and off. You were in the hospitality industry uh, for some period of time and... Um, you you always seem to be in, in in the service industry of some sort during the entirety of your career. And I think it's really cool for our listeners to know that we have two musicians on, both you and Khalil, who is uh, Khalil's well-known in our community uh, for the work that he's done. So just, just a, another interesting cross-section here, or intersection, I should say. So, so, Tom, talk to us about what your health was like prior to the time that you became chronically ill. What, were, were you a generally healthy person? 
Um, were you health conscious, or did you have did you have some other uh, some other experiences prior to getting um, sick from Lyme disease? No, I was pretty healthy. I I, I caught COVID um, twice, but other than that, I I, I was pretty healthy. Um, the only, I mean, my immune system was maybe a little bit battered from the late nights. Um, you know, a little bit of drinking socially and stuff. Um, but but that was it really. And apart from that, I mean, my immune system was a bit run down, but I wasn't like in bad health or anything. I wasn't overweight. You know, I was I was eating okay and things. Um, so like leading up to about six months before I got sick, um, I was working nights and then I changed my routine and stuff. And uh, if anything, I was getting healthier right up until I got ill. Um. Yeah, and then it all kind of went downhill last year. So let's focus on that window now, which is that period of time between the time when you're working nights and now you begin, you decide that you want to move into another uh, industry in the logistics, into the logistics industry, because you wanted to get more, I guess, normalized sleep, and you wanted to have, you wanted to, wanted to have a, a healthier lifestyle. Um, was there was there anything else that motivated you to move from the job where you're working nights to moving to to logistics? Yeah, I, I wanted to change the scene. Like I was, I, I was tired of uh, you know customer service roles working in in hospitality, and that I, I'd, I'd done it for like five years. So I just wanted to change the scene, um, and I'd never actually worked um, a full time job up until then. I would, I was always like had two jobs and things like that, and um, doing overtime and things like that. So. For me, it was like it was kind of because I was I was always quite like the creative type and stuff. I never really fit fit, fit into that bracket where I would I would go straight into a, an office job. So a nine to five wasn't really for me. Um, since university, I just it didn't really appeal to me. So I wanted to work in logistics to kind of like test myself and, and do something different, work an administration role, a bit more of a fixed role set where like I, I knew exactly when I was working and what I was doing. Um, and and it what I mean. It, it, it wasn't too stressful um the training it wasn't too bad it was it was fairly straightforward but it was like a, a completely uh, new thing for me to, to pick up on that so it was something i had to focus on um during the time i got sick so um, maybe it did cause a little bit of stress leading up to um you know finding the ration stuff but it, for me it was mainly like a just a just a complete take yourself out of your comfort zone do something different and then in my own time i was working on my music and creating creating music um, work on my own tracks and stuff because uh, they eventually wanted to start DJing and stuff full time. Yeah, so Tom, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like in my mind, I'm, I'm sort of going back and forth between debating about whether or not your story is one where you you had um, you had this event that caused you to suffer immune stress or whether or not because you were working so many different jobs and because you were working some late hours, uh, so many late hours that you your body finally let, you know, what when you finally got a rest, when you had more consistency with working in one place, working at one job, working more normalized hours, having an opportunity to get more sleep, where your body maybe had been able to manage all those stresses. And then it finally, it's almost like the situation where you, your, 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 your body, your, your immune system was, was worn out from everything that happened before. And it, it finally sort of let go when you, when you had a more normalized schedule. Yeah, and and it was a little bit of both. It was I was transitioning off, off nights onto days, so it took a few months for my body clock to to go back to normal uh, off night shifts. So I ended night shifts at the end of twenty twenty one, and then I ended up getting sick about four months later, so last Easter last year. Um, so I think that was a factor, and then I came out of a relationship. I was in and out of a relationship for about two two and a half years, so that was that was a bit of a that 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 was that was quite quite you know stressful to even out of that as well and then I, and I went abroad as well to see to visit my mum who lives in Spain and um was just building a relationship with her as well so yeah and I think I think at the time I think um I had like a lot of anxiety and stuff I wasn't sleeping properly I know that even though I was on a better a better sleep schedule I wasn't sleeping properly um and I was I was sweating the, the little things the little things that like now don't bother me you know after being through this and things they did. They used to like really bother me, and I found it quite hard to like control anxiety and stuff at the time. Um, but other than that, like you know, my diet wasn't was. I mean, it could have been better, but I wasn't like you know, I wasn't drinking every single week and eating crap all the time. I was fairly okay, but I think it. I think it would have been like um, I wasn't sleeping consistently, and um, you know, anxiety and stress and stuff were kind of like you know, 
keep my immune system a little bit suppressed and stuff, especially when I was doing night shifts the year before because I was getting colds, constantly getting colds. And um, I think I was just a little bit run down from the, from the sleeping pattern. Um, but that's all completely changed now, yeah. So, so Tom, talk to us a little bit uh, about what you knew about ticks and Lyme disease before you had gotten sick. Were you aware of ticks? Were you aware of Lyme disease? Was this something that was even on your radar? No. I mean, I'd heard of what a tick was and Lyme disease. I'd, I'd heard of Lyme disease. Um, I, I, I knew it was... I knew it was a bacterial infection and that was it. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I actually Googled it on the way to the GP when I had the rash um, that, that I realized, like knew more about what it was and that. So, but, but before then I didn't really have much knowledge of it at all. I knew it was an infection. I'd heard of it, but that was it. Okay. So let's, let's not talk about what was happening in your life leading up to this rash, right? So you said you would, you would just, you would just change jobs. Uh, were you having any health issues prior to discovering the rash that you discovered? No. Um, do, do you mean related to Lyme or? No, I mean, any, any, I mean, just like, how were you generally feeling? Were you feeling okay? Were, was any, you know, I mean, you did describe first, you had, you know, you were going through these transitions in your life yeah. where you were, you were trying to redevelop a relationship with your mother. You had just gotten out of a, a long-term, at least a couple of year intimate relationship with, with a partner. Um, you were, you were not sleeping in part because uh, you were now trying to adjust to a more traditional day night schedule, but your days and nights were still not where you wanted them to be. Um, you, you wanted some stability in your life, meaning you wanted to be in one place at one time for work, as opposed to, you know, working, working, um, you know, two jobs and, and yeah, finding yeah, yourself yeah. In, in different places. And you wanted to have a new scene. You wanted a new scene for yourself. You just wanted to, you just turned 30, by the way. So you were, you were going through a, you know, a benchmark window in your life from, from the standpoint of now this transition. So you wanted to get more stability in your life. You wanted to, wanted to restore some relationships. We had all that going on. You said you had COVID a couple of times earlier uh, before, before this Lyme rash, but or before this rash, so, but now you're now you're at your new job and, and you discover a rash. Um, where uh, where was the rash and 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 how did you discover it? So the rash was right in the in between the shoulder blades, right at the back. And um, going back to health issues, I didn't have any health issues outside of Lyme, but I was having like strange things that were happening from um, April 2022. As soon as I got back from uh, Tenerife. I had strange things happen to me. Like I woke up in the middle of the night, I had like really bad palpitations. I had like a swollen temple, or a swollen lymph node. Um, and, 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 and then that kind of calmed down. A couple of visits to hospital, all the strange things like this happening. I was getting like shooting pains in the chest where I couldn't breathe. Um, uh, constant palpitations, migraines, swollen lymph nodes all over the body, the groin, in the head, um, night sweats. Um, I was getting gut issues, like, like, the worst pain, and I have never had gut gut issues ever in my life of anything. And um, I was having these like weird gut issues, and like like someone was stabbing me in the stomach. It was weird. Um, I was sleeping in the middle of the day and stuff, like crippling fatigue. Uh, and then it go away, and I'd be okay. And I'd be like, well, what's just what's just happened? Like, yeah, <laughs> so complete, completely sporadic. I was like, and it, it lasted four months, just up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And then the rash got the rash and. The middle of August, end of August, eighteenth of August, around there. Okay, and, so 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 yeah. Tom, can we can we pause there for a second? So you, you had taken a trip to the Canary Islands before this had happened, right? So talk to us about yeah, what yeah. what caused you to go on that trip, and what kinds of things were you doing on that trip? Meaning, were you outdoors? Were you in the woods? Were you you know were you in in places where you believe you may have been able you may have come in contact with uh, with with a tick or some more than one tick? So the only thing that on this visit to Tenerife. I've been about 20 times. The only the only thing that I've done different was I visited um the right up the north of the islands in a place called Los Gigantes, which is like right at the peak. Um sorry, right at the far south, not the north, right at the far south, Los Gigantes. And I went to like a rock pool and I and started swimming in a rock pool. And um there was people there swimming, swimming with me and stuff. Uh, and I had a backpack on. So uh, I got dry as I came out the rock pool and put my backpack back on. Uh, and I didn't have a top on at this point. And but uh, I, I, I think I was bitten either by a tick swimming in the rock pool because I know they can swim, um, or there was a tick on the on the inside of my bag when I put the bag back on, um, because that's the only part of Tenerife that I haven't visited since I was a child, um, 
So I think it's got something to do with visiting that part of the island. Maybe ticks are more rife. In fact, the ticks that that end. And also the location of where the rash was, because it was right in the middle of my back where we where I had my backpack. It was just a weird. Like, it wasn't like on my leg or anything. You know where most people get from like leg or like you know the side or the arm or it was like right in the middle. Um, so I think it was I think it was in Tenerife where I've caught it. Um, and then I've started getting symptoms straight away, maybe like a week after I've got back. Okay, so so you, you take you take your trip to the Canary Islands. You do go into nature, um, and um, and you start having the this up and down experience with your health for about four months after you get back from the Canary Islands, and then at the end of that four month window, you find a rash on your back. So talk to us about how you found a rash on your back because. You know, we don't have eyes behind our heads. So, how did you uh, how did you discover uh, a rash on your back? So, I was I was sitting in a in a food market in Liverpool, and um, I was just having a, a burger with a friend, and I we were just talking. It was like it was like a Sunday night, and um, I just felt like I was, I started sweating, and I got like a stiff neck, and I was like, I let me spine up the back of my back was was like sore, and I was just felt like it was burning. I was like, oh, maybe I've got COVID again, and then. Um, a couple of days later, it, it happened again. I started burning up and I felt like I had a fever. And I was I was uh, meeting my auntie that day. She was coming. We, we used to meet up for like coffees and stuff for catch-ups. And she came to me, my uh, flat where I lived. And um, I said, can you just check my back there? Because I feel like my, my spine's like burning. And it feels like there's something there. And she took a picture and it was like a small circular rash. It wasn't the bullseye. It was like a small circular rash and it was shiny. But it was so hot. It was so hot. It was like someone had like, you know, burnt me with like a like a steel rod or something. It was like it wasn't like a normal rash. I was like, why is? It? And then when I googled it, googled it, it said like like I have a meningitis or Lyme disease. And I was like, yeah. That's, at first, I thought it was meningitis. Um, but yeah, that that's how I found it. She took a picture of it, and because uh, I couldn't reach it, but I could I could reach it, but I couldn't see it. Right. Okay. So. Now, of course, most of our folks who listen to this podcast understand that in most cases, people will not get rash, uh, will not get a rash. And in those rare cases where people do get rash, it's not just a bullseye rash, right? And that's one of the, yeah, one yeah. Of the misnomers in this community um, that uh, you will either have a rash if you have Lyme disease, which is not the case, uh, or you will only have a bullseye rash, which is also not the case, right? We, we, and you're a perfect example of, of having a rash that was not a bullseye rash, that as it turns out was a Lyme rash. So, yeah. so you said uh, a little bit earlier that after you discovered the, the rash, um, you, you scheduled an appointment to go see a doctor. And on the way to the doctor, you Googled the rash and you discovered that one of the potential causes of the rash was Lyme disease. Um, so what, how, how did you feel when you, were, when you were doing that Google search and, uh, and uh, Dr. Google suggested that you might be suffering from a disease named Lyme disease? It would have been strange because I, I didn't type Lyme disease in. I didn't type bullseye rash in. I just typed burning hot rash on back symptoms and cause. And I put that in Google and it came straight away Lyme disease, straight away. And then, and then it came up with fever, blah, blah, blah. Fever, stiff neck, migraine, sensitivity to light, uh, swollen lymph nodes, um, you know, sweats, uh, all these kind of things. And I was like, yeah, well, I think it's Lyme disease. But I, um, I was on the way to the doctor's. Um, so I thought I'll find out. And the day before, I'd had like um, uh, kind of like swollen lymph nodes in the groin, but really, really bad. Um, and and I, I was like, I'll bring that up as well. And so yeah, so that's what I was on. Put it in Google and it came up. So let's let's pause there for a second and talk about the healthcare system in the UK. Um, the healthcare system in the UK is a socialized medical system, uh, which is available to everyone in the country. Um, did you use the socialized system for your medical care or did you have to step out of the system to meet with a doctor that you would pay for privately? At that point, I, I was with the NHS. Yeah, I was straight to the NHS. Um, do you want me to tell you what happened with the NHS first before I well, went private? Yeah, yeah let's, 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 so I, my, so my question is how long did it take you to get an appointment with a doctor that was working in the socialized system between the time that you had your first symptom and the time you were ultimately able to uh, see a doctor? With the NHS, yeah. The yes. NHS itself. Um, 
I had quite a few appointments. It usually take about a day. So if, if, if I, I was I was I was ringing the surgery and listening as an emergency because the because these symptoms were frightening. Um, I was saying, you know, this is waking me up in the middle of the night. I don't know what it is. Like I'm, I'm swollen lymph nodes and feel like I'm, I'm having palpitations all the time. Um, and they were bringing me in the next day. So I was having quite a few appointments, seeing different doctors because they didn't know what to do with me. And um, it was usually the next day. I've never really got a same day appointment. It was usually the next day. So instead of waiting four or five days, which I usually had to at that point, they were bringing me in the next day to see an NHS doctor. And I've seen quite a few. And that was, that was around going to A&E and going to the emergency department and speaking to doctors and nurses there as well who still didn't know what to do with me. In fact, they okay, shut so, the doors. They shut so, the doors completely. Tom, you were um, you were under the care of doctors for that four-month period after you had gotten back from the Canary Islands, and, yeah. and that predated, of course, you having the rash. Um, prior to the yeah. rash, with all the different doctors and healthcare professionals that you were seeing for the various symptoms, which are very classic Lyme disease symptoms, did anybody ever suggest to you that perhaps you were suffering from Lyme disease before you located the rash? Absolutely not. No, no. In fact, in fact, um, I seen a neurologist who said this isn't classic Lyme disease. This is um, no muscle wasting and stuff that I was having. So I, if anything, I got told that it's not typical of Lyme disease before I had the blood test. So before you had the rash, um, you said you were going to many doctors. Did they give you any type of diagnosis or were you were you some kind of a medical mystery up until the time of the rash? Complete mystery. They gave me they gave me dizziness tablets. Uh, they said, oh, you've got vertigo, take the dizziness tablets. They're like, I don't know what they were, like C-shaped tablets or whatever. And then, and then they gave me propanol. So they gave me beta blockers for anxiety. So it was all just all panic attacks, anxiety, um, dizziness, no vertigo, headaches, things like that. That was it. So now, Tom, you you said that before the trip to the Canary Islands, you were dealing with some anxiety issues anyway. So can you talk to us about how your anxiety had changed between the time that you had come back from the Canary Islands and the time that you had your rash? Was your anxiety worse? And did you have any other mental health manifestations that were developing during that window of time from when you got back from the Canary Islands to the time that you had, you had uh, located the rash? Yeah, my anxiety was... My anxiety was 10 times worse. Um, I, it's, I mean, there's been a lot of trauma, traumatic moments, but one of the worst is when you don't know what's wrong with you and you fear the worst all the time. Um, but yeah, but all, this, all of the symptoms from getting back from Tenerife to the rash and beyond that kept changing. Like it, everything kept changing. So some people, I know some people when they're suffering with Lyme, they get fatigue and joint pain and other people get more neural symptoms. Um, I had that absolutely everything. I had like symptoms of meningitis. Then my muscles started wasting and lost like a stone and a half. It was just, but it was so random. It was just like a six month period of like, what do I do? I was paying hundreds of pounds for scans, like MRI scans of the brain and getting a CT scan. And they like, you can't give you any more scans. Your brain's fine, but you have got a swollen lymph node. Um, but that's just normal. You know, you might have just had an infection. Um, so I was just going private private to private scan and then back to the NHS and just getting absolutely nowhere um, for about, yeah, about six months. With that. So now you have the rash. You said on the way to the doctor's office, you had Googled um, the rash and it came back Lyme disease. So how is that appointment different, if it was at all, from the appointments that you had had for the prior four months uh, after you'd returned from the Canary Islands? Um, because I actually got given antibiotics because... They looked at the rash. They had something to go by, a clinical diagnosis. And they said, I think you've got cellulitis. And I said, are you sure it's not Lyme disease? And he said, no, I don't think it's Lyme disease. It doesn't present as Lyme disease. So I just trusted them. I was just like, okay, well, I've only just heard of Lyme disease, really. I've only just realized what it was. Maybe it is cellulitis. Um, and so, that, yeah, he gave me, you know, a week's worth of fluxoxacillin. So it was obviously it was the wrong medication at the time. But it worked for like two weeks. Um, yeah, so that's why the appointment was different because he, he had something to go by rather than just me saying, oh, I don't feel well. Well, he had something to go by, but he misdiagnosed you with cellulitis, not with Lyme disease. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So you said he had given you a couple of weeks of antibiotics, a couple of weeks of antibiotics, you had taken them, you felt better for another couple of weeks, and then your symptoms came back. Yeah, so I felt better, and I went back to my usual stuff, um, you know, seeing friends and working and things. And then... Um, I was in the middle of work and I just started getting like like headaches, like really bad, like headaches, started sweating things. Uh, just felt like COVID to be honest at that point. 
Um, but it lasted for too long. It was, it was, I was thinking, this isn't right. This, this is going on and on and on. Um, and so I, I, I went back to A and E. Had loads of bloods done, loads of blood tests, and uh, they said, you know, we can't find anything. And then I went back to the same doctor and wrote them an email because I couldn't get through on the phone. And I said, look, whatever you give me has has worked, but I'm ill again. So I, you know, I need you to re- reevaluate my case. And he checked over the bloods from the hospital and said, oh, you know, your bloods are fine. I don't know what you want me to do. Your bloods are fine. Rest assured, you're okay. And um, I was like, well, no, I'm not. You know what I mean? I'm not well. I feel like I've got, like, meningitis symptoms. Um, and then I was back and forward to A&E again, and then I ended up back in hospital, um, but, like, for about a week um, with the symptoms and stuff because the doctors at this point... They, they wouldn't do anything. I, I got back in the doctor's surgery a couple of days later with completely different doctors, three doctors looking over me on like a hospital, on like a, a bed, a pull-out bed, and they, they were like, we don't know what's wrong with you. They were doing like the glucose levels, big finger, and you're like, bring this in, we'll do this test on and this, that, and the other. Um, doing all the classic stroke tests and strength tests and, you know, are your legs numb, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I just said, I feel like I'm going to pass out like constantly. I feel like I'm just my blood pressure's all over the place. I don't know whether it is or not. And he was like, oh, your blood pressure's okay. And I was like, well, I'm really not well. I've got like a stiff neck. And any light in the room was just like sending me completely, completely west. I was like really sensitive to light and stuff. Um, but obviously, because I've had blood done, he was like, well, it's not meningitis. We would have found it. Um, that's what he suspected. But he, he didn't find anything. Um, and so they just put it open. But we don't know what, we don't know what's wrong with him. Um, and then about... a a day or two later, I ended up in hospital. Um, it just got worse and worse and worse. And I had to like, I had to like force my way into the hospital basically and bypass the whole queue of like people and just say, look, you need, you need to, and you put a catheter in my arm. So you need to do something. I think I'm like very bad. I started to get like dementia symptoms. So I was losing my memory and stuff. So I was thinking about stuff and then I'd, I'd forget what I was doing and stuff. And it was, it was bad, like very bad. So how long did this go on before you were finally diagnosed with Lyme disease? So that was September last year, the end of September. Uh, the doctor gave me a Lyme disease test on the NHS, the ELISA test, which is known to be inaccurate. That came back negative. Uh, by that point, I'd already took antibiotics and stuff. Um, and I said, you know, I'm still not well. I'm getting cardiac symptoms. And they were like, okay, well, your Lyme disease test is negative. There's nothing we can do. That was September. Then I ended up back in hospital with cardiac symptoms in October um, for about two or three days. That was really bad. And uh, again, done loads of tests, nothing we can do. Told me family and friends who were there at the time, you know, he's, he's got anxiety. They gave me a booklet on therapy and said, look, you know, you need to speak to Talk Liverpool. You think you've got mental health issues and stuff and you really need to speak to someone. And he threw, like, basically just put a booklet on the bed, gave me some diazepam and walked off. So I discharged me discharged myself from the hospital and then that's when I, I basically had to treat myself and I found um Dr. Lambert in Dublin. Okay, so let's 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 pause there for another second before we get to your doctor in Dublin. So essentially what you were being told, and this is you know triggering for folks in the Lyme community, but unfortunately all too common, you were essentially being told that this was all in your head, that there was nothing wrong with you physically. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Now, how did that make you feel first emotionally? Because you did share with us that you you had you you had been managing some anxiety issues before your trip to the uh, the Canary Islands. You get back from the Canary Islands, you get you're getting very very sick, and you're having these these um, on and off symptoms. You're not getting diagnosed with anything, and that plus, of course, the neurological impairment is now causing your anxiety to go through the roof. You're ten times more anxious than you ever had been before, and now you're being told despite having all of these symptoms, being hospitalized uh, several times, that this is all in your head. What did that do to your anxiety and and uh, and, and your mental well-being? Um, it kind of broke me down to a point in the hospital bed, whereas I got like rock bottom and, and I knew I was trying to convince, uh, you know, family, friends and medical professionals that no, you need to listen to me. I've got really bad physical symptoms, and I feel like you know it's it's getting worse. And when 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 they give me the booklet and he didn't listen to me, and um, uh, that was when I hit rock bottom when I discharged myself, and I was like, 
it can't get any worse than this. It can only get better. So I'm 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 gonna bounce back from it, and, and that's what I did. And it was it was actually that day. Whereas I just I just knew I was like on a, it was almost like something like clicked in my mind. It was like an epiphany, and I was like, no, I can't, like this is me. I'm I'm on my own now. And it was kind of like a relief to let go of everyone else's opinion and be like, right, I need to you know speak to speak to people who are suffering with this online, speak to people on Facebook, you know, find a doctor, email them. You know, ring them, get an appointment, and go from there. And and since you know that really that day, it has been upwards. So it was kind of like a decline until that day, and then like a slow, gradual ascent. But yeah, I did it. I hit rock. I had to hit rock bottom for something to switch in my head and be like, I'm on my own here, and that's it. And then like I kind of like tuned in. It was kind of like survival then. I'd like to explore that with you in a little more detail. Um... Because it sounds to me that you were essentially offboarding your health to the medical professionals, right? You, you, were, you were allowing the medical professionals to essentially take control of your health plan. And finally, you had enough. When they said this is all in your head and you knew it wasn't all in your head, you then began to respond with ability, right? You, you became responsible, responding with ability, because you, you knew for sure that the healthcare system was not equipped to help you and you are going to now take a step in a different direction where you were going to respond with ability. So talk to us about how, how that was liberating for you rather than, rather than um, causing you to suffer more anxiety. Um, I, I don't, I, I can't explain it. I, I, it's like a feeling like I, I, I thought I was going to die. And I think it was the acceptance that I might die. And then I didn't die. That just I just bounced back stronger. And because when I was, I didn't think I'd leave that hospital. I genuinely I, like the night before the doctors came around the bed with my family and stuff. The night before, then I slept about two hours. Someone in the bed in front of me had had a cardiac arrest and pretty much died. And I couldn't hardly like grieve with the palpitations and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is the worst thing. And you know. The, the nurses weren't really doing anything because they were like, oh, he's okay. And he was just slow to respond. And I was like, I'm literally on my own here. There's nothing I can do. And then in the morning, I spoke to family about coming down. I was like, you know, I need your help. I need, need to come down and speak to these doctors and tell them, you know, to do one more test because there's something not right. And at this point, I knew, I knew it was Lyme disease because I'd done that much research on it. And I was like, look at the way it's manifested. It's went from stage one, stage two, stage three. And the doctors were like, there's no stage three Lyme disease. And I was like, there is. It's everywhere. Just look it up. Like, I've got every single symptom. It doesn't, it, like, no other disease, you know, progresses like this um, into cardiac symptoms. And then I just, yeah, when when I when it rolled the gaslight and carried on that morning, I just I just hit complete rock bottom. And, um, yeah, I was at my lowest point. I burst into tears with, like, family and friends there. And I was just, when the doctors walked away, um, I argued with them for a bit. And then I, I you know, broke down. And then after, after about an hour, of like letting that out, I just said to me, my friends and my family were there. It was only about two or three of them. I just said, "Come on, we're going," and just dis discharge myself. And from that point on, done all my research, found the doctor, um, and I just knew, like, I've got to fix this on my own. Like, no one else is going to help me. I've got to find the answers, um, and that was it. Then, and I, I like it, it was weird. It's it's almost like my life's in two parts. It was like that happened, and then I bounced back. But yeah, I think it was just that I genuinely, genuinely thought when you when you're faced with something that strong and you genuinely think you're gonna die, it does change you. Um, it changes you completely. Um, you know, it, or, or straight away, whether you believed in God or not, you do believe in God when you hit rock bottom like that because you just do your face with it and you just pray and you know, you rise back up from it. Like yeah, yeah. So, so it really was liberating for you, though, right? I mean, you were being failed by the national health uh, system. Uh, you were yeah. being failed by the doctors who were treating you for several months. And then, then once you once you took the chains of the system off, you were liberated, and you were able to go forward with pursuing the diagnosis that, in your heart, you knew um, they should have been they should have uh, been open to, but were not. And we understand in this community why doctors are not open to that diagnosis and the challenges that they're concerned about dealing with if they diagnose you with Lyme disease, right? But, you know, um, I, I'd like your reaction to one more thing before Khalil takes you through finding your Lyme disease doctor in, uh, in Ireland. And that is, 
you know, we, we call the Lyme disease uh, diagnosis the supermarket diagnosis, that more of the people who have come on to this podcast than not have either self-diagnosed by, uh, by going to Dr. Google, or they get diagnosed by bumping into a friend or a family member who they themselves have had Lyme disease, or a family member has had Lyme disease, and they bump into them in a public place like a supermarket, and somebody says, hey, you sound like you have Lyme disease. Now, one of the things that we find to be you know, interesting here at Tick Boot Camp is, it's pretty easy for us to diagnose people with Lyme disease, and very few of us have any medical training. Why do you think it's so difficult for folks in, in the medical community, or why do you think they refuse to, um, to diagnose folks with, with, with what is a very traditional set of symptoms that you had that you very clearly were able to diagnose yourself with, but none of your doctors were willing to diagnose you with? I, I, I don't I don't understand it. I mean, for, for, for me, I, I was diagnosed privately, you know, through bloods with Armand Labs in Germany and, uh, and then clinically by Dr. Lam, Dr. Lambert in Dublin. But I, I don't understand um, why the health system can't pick up on certain signs. Um, I do understand early on because the symptoms were so spread out. It was like every four weeks I'd get like something had happened. Um, shooting pains and like can't breathe, pneumonia type symptoms, palpitations, numbness, things like that. But I don't understand if you're presenting in a rash and it's following the stages because it's all online. You know, we can find it. it. It's there. It's accessible. Um, yeah, I don't know what the answers are. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that because it, it makes no sense. Like it seems like there's so much evidence nowadays that is there and present, but it's like they just ignore it for some odd reason. But just going from you discharging yourself to like, what's the first thing you do when you leave that, when you hit rock bottom, you discharge yourself and you're ready to take control of your own journey. Like what was the first thing you did? Like once you left and finally got yourself together and said, I know something's wrong with me. I'm gonna figure out what to do. Like what's one of the first things you did? Um, on the second, uh, yeah, so on the second visit, coming out of hospital with the cardiac symptoms, straight away, I, I, I had to, I had to, uh, basically buy penicillin myself. It, it got, it got to, I bought penicillin to, to time me over until I actually seen the doctor. Um, but my, my heart symptoms were so bad um, that I, I, I just, I just felt like. I'll get worse if I don't have an antibiotic like I need to. And so the penicillin, it did that. I bought it from a chemist and it, it did actually tie me over for four weeks until I seen Dr. Lambert. And by having the penicillin, I was able to go in the sauna and that was able to help me detox and, um, you know, just, you know, get the blood flowing and things. And then I started resting better because I've had the penicillin. It, it, it was chaos. I mean, one week I ran out of penicillin and I didn't have any antibiotics. And I was I was eating mature Stilton cheese just because it had penicillin in it, just to get rid of my heart pain, and it actually worked for like an hour. <laughs> and then and then yeah, I was ordering penicillin and and making it last for me, and and that was it until I actually seen Doctor Lambert. Thankfully, because I had cardiac symptoms, he brought the appointment forward. So, are these are these things you found out on your own that you found out that was helpful? Like you found out like just doing research or joining Facebook groups or something like that? How'd you find out about the penicillin and the cheese and all that type of stuff, like getting your own medicine without the doctors giving you anything. How'd you go about that? Uh, yeah, I just done it myself. I, ju I, ju I knew there was online chemists where you could, because I, I know you can buy, you know, if, you, if you've got an STI and you don't want to go to the doctors, you can buy, you know, doxycycline on on online or azithromycin. So I knew that those websites were there. I'd seen adverts and stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm going to see if there's any penicillin because I, I know penicillin's quick, quick acting. Um, so I did. And and previous to this, I'd already used doxycycline for two weeks and it stopped working because it spread to the heart. It just stopped working. So I was like, well, no, I can't buy doxycycline. I'm going to buy penicillin. Um, so I bought amoxicillin. And then, yeah, the cheese. I had a friend and me and him, we love mature Stilton. I just knew. I knew from reading somewhere in the past, penicillins and cheese, and it'll work. And it, did, it worked for like an evening and then it wore off. And colloidal silver as well. Colloidal silver is, you know, another solution, a natural solution. My friend uses that. He, he used it for COVID. He uses it for, like, colds and things. And, uh, you know, like, sinus infections and things. And then I said to him, like, I need some of your silver. So I borrowed silver off, it, off him while he bought some online. 
I used colloidal silver, but that worked for about three days, and then that stopped working. Um, so I had these things to tie me over that I kind of already had a gist about. Um, but it, it wasn't until I'd actually spoke to people in, in, in groups on Facebook to do with Lyme disease, and people would point me in the direction of, if you want antibiotics, you need to go to Ireland. Otherwise, if you go to all the practitioners, they're going to go down the herbal route. And I was like, I have a lot of time for herbs. Like, I'm really bad. Like, um, because it, 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 it was ca like cardiac symptoms and stuff. I didn't want to risk just taking herbs and stuff. So, yeah, but I say you, you get real resilient when, when you're struggling and, and can't find no help and nobody did to help you. You get real resilient. So, how did you come about finding your doctor? What, what was first? Um, what, what came first? Like, your official lab testing or your doctor? Did you find your doctor first? Did you get your lab from your doctor or did you do, do those separately? So I, so I emailed the doctor, got an appointment, told him the symptoms. And he said, you know, the wait list is about six weeks, but we'll try and move it forward. So while that was pending, I had bloods done. And I sent them to, in the post, uh, DHL sent them to Armand Labs in Germany. They got tested. And while they were getting tested, I had the appointments in Ireland. And I actually flew to Ireland with my auntie, uh, got on a plane and flew, um, which is like the worst experience ever when you're that ill. Um, but I had to do it and I, yeah I went to see the doctor and um, you know he gave me a clinical diagnosis he said look the, you know the, the, the blood the blood test that that inaccurate that we treat people if they're really bad I'd prefer to have blood results but if they're really bad we treat people see how they take to antibiotics and I took really well to them and then about a week later I sent the positive blood results to him and said these are the results you know what do you think type of thing and then he he, he, he tailored the treatment program for the next three months towards like how strong the infection was. Yeah, because in the, in the Lyme community, a lot of doctors, sometimes they won't even treat off blood work because they, like you say, it's like a lot of it's inaccurate. They, they need people with the patients to describe their symptoms and they can come up with a plan based off your symptoms. But if you do find one of these good lab testing places that are more accurate than others, like you said, Armin Labs is a pretty good one. It's quite accurate. It does help the doctor in the treatment side that you can get. How did you find the doctor though? Like, how did you find him? Like, how did you know that like, this is the doctor that you wanted to choose? Like, how did you find him? Yeah, as I say, like I, I, I had to go in the uh, Facebook groups. The Facebook groups were the were the main thing for me because I seen other people suffering, and I, it's funny just to, just to touch back on before this for a second. I because originally I thought I had vitamin toxicity because I've been taking liver tablets, so I was already in loads of Facebook groups for like vitamin A toxicity, vitamin B toxicity, and the symptoms were so similar. It was like, oh, rashes, sweats, you know, this, that, and the other. And I was like, ah, oh, it's so similar. And so I, I straight away, I, I joined a couple of groups on Lyme disease. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in these forums anyway. I'm going to start speaking to people. And um, straight away, I, ju I just knew something was up. It was just fishy. Like, people weren't getting help at all. And there was so many thousands of people in the groups and stuff, especially the Lyme disease UK charity. It's about 15,000, 16,000 people in that group. And everyone's saying the same thing, and they're all like, where do we go? London, Ireland, and London. It's, there's a few people suggesting Breakspear in London and London College of Nutrition. But you're talking like two or three, two or three thousand pounds for like your bloods and like your analysis and your consultation before you've even got your treatment. And I just didn't have the money, you know, I'd only just started the new job. So for me, it was straight to Ireland to get the strongest antibiotics I can get, triple antibiotics, and then see how we go from there. So you, you found them out through a Facebook group? Yeah, so the Facebook group, I was, they were suggested in there. Obviously, not everyone takes the antibiotics, but I knew that, like, I'd, I'd never had an issue with antibiotics. So people had sent me, a, they they said, you know, this is the doctor you need to speak to. They gave me a link to his website, and I emailed them. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah that, that's one of the things about the Facebook groups. They can be helpful to lead you into some some point you in some of the right directions because like you said when you join the groups a lot of people have you see the same stories over and over and over it's the same story like you said people are not getting well so it's just like what's going on i had kind of the same experience myself i was kind of happy when i first found facebook groups to find out there was other people like me in my situation but then after a while you're in there for so long you're like why is everybody saying the same thing why is nobody getting help so kind of kind of gets a little weird you got to be careful with, with those things migrating those things but you yeah, said yeah. you and your auntie flew to Ireland. So how far is Ireland from from where you are? It's not long. It's like forty five minute flight. Uh, yeah, that, that's not far. But but just goes to show that sometimes you got to travel just to, to find your doctors and just to find someone who's adequate, who's willing to treat you. Like, um, was it a hard time getting an appointment? No, it wasn't. 
it, his wait list is six to eight weeks. But just because of how bad my symptoms were, and I, I did emphasize them in the email, um, he said, he'll, you know, he'll see it in, in two weeks. So I only had to wait two weeks. Right? Well, I think it was four weeks, actually. Um, but it was meant to be six to eight. So, uh, you know, it was it was quite it was quite fast. Um, but yeah, I was just I was just so thankful that I'd, I'd seen him because as soon as I seen him, like I just got there straight away. Like um, no, they kind of lift, lifted quickly. No, I can understand it because you, you you're finally getting ready to see someone who's proficient in what you're dealing with, who's ready to listen to you, ready to hear you, everything you're saying. So. You, you can quite even feel a little bit better from what you're dealing with at the time, just because like it's, it's a bit of a stress reliever at the time, because you know you're getting ready to find someone to help you. So once you first find them, you're starting to feel pretty good about yourself and everything. What were some of the first things that you guys went through? Like, did he have like a, a laid out plan for you to do? You t- I know you told him all your symptoms and stuff like that, gave him the blood work. Did he lay out a plan for you to do, like a protocol to follow? Like, what were the steps in that from the first time you saw him? Yeah, do you want me to talk about the antibiotics I was on and stuff? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So initially, he'd give it's quite a lot. It, it was like a supplement plan. Uh, you had to take um, uh, LDN, low low dose naltrexone, you know, for inflammation. I had to take that every day, and then it was take supplements as well. So it was like NAC, uh, Japanese knotweed. Um, you had to be on like you know max vitamins and minerals and stuff for the immune system. And then it was antibiotics. He was on triple antibiotics. So it was uh, Ryanfacin, so Rifidin. Um, what else was I on? I was on Siroxifene, I think it was. Um, and then I was on, what was I on? I think I was, was I on Doxycycline first. No, Azithromycin. I was on Azithromycin. Yep. Azithromycin, Rifidin, and um, Siroxifene. So I was on triple antibiotics, and they, they, they were pr- pretty strong. Um but straight away, it just, it, you know, it just lifted the symptoms and then week by week, obviously started to get better. But then it was just a whole, it was just a whole nother game. Then like the, the treatment of it, as you know yourself, like the treatment of it is 50% of the battle as the symptoms before you even start the treatments. It's just like, yeah. Did, did, did he start you on anything specific first? Like was it antibiotics first, herbs first, or were they both at the same time? He just went all in on everything at the same time. Uh, do you remember? Yeah, well, he, he didn't put me on any strong herbs. It, 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 it was just Japanese knotweed, barely first, um, and supplements and antibiotics. And then I kind of introduced herbs myself. So I introduced, like, Chinese skullcap, Japanese knotweed, cryptolepsis, um, cat's claw, um, uh, NEC as a supplement, uh, high-dose vitamin C. Um, I was taking vitamin D anyway. Um I was just introducing these things. I took a little bit of colloidal silver when I needed it as well. Um, yeah, and then I kind of built built up the herbs to where I am now. So it was kind of a gradual process. But he, he had me on that protocol with the antibiotics, free antibiotics for 10 weeks. And then after that, I went back to him for another appointment. And then I was put on antibiotics for another two months. So, and then I've had another four weeks. So it's a, it's been about six months of antibiotics. From 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 now till then, from when you started till now, it's been about six months. From November to now. now six, I, well, yeah, there there are less because I had a couple of breaks and stuff. How, how have you been doing on those? I know a, a lot of times, a lot of people say antibiotics could be harmful or hard on the gut and on the digestive system. Sometimes, how, uh, are you been able to do pretty well on those? You feel? Fine, absolutely fine. I mean, I take pro- probiotics. I have like a lot of like bio bio live yogurts as well. Um, so I'm looking after I'm looking after my gut anyway. I mean, I've I've been looking after the gut for like about a year, two years. So and I ne- I've never had any issues with my gut really, apart from you know the actual symptoms of Lyme last year. So I've been fine. I, I tolerate them well. Some people get worse off antibiotics. They actually get worse, don't they? Um, but I've been okay. I've been okay off them um, and the herbs as well. I haven't actually took an antibiotic now for a week. So I've been off them for a week now. But now you said one of the key things, though, taking care of your gut, De- dealing with Lyme disease and the colorfaces, start taking care of your gut is a, is, a, is a major thing that can help you get better along the way and help you better faster and stay better faster because when your gut's messed up, it messes up everything. So that the fact that you've been doing that and know to do that, that's, that's, that's a very good sign and very good things. Now, another thing with, I know you said you've been taking a lot of bioanalysis in about six months, that 
is um how about like insurance, like the cost of these things, the cost of the doctor visits, the cost of the medicine that you had to, have to take and always have to keep reading up. And how are you able to deal with, with that process, the cost of things of dealing with this disease? Yeah, it all adds up. It all adds up. Like it, it's yeah. You, I mean, you're looking. I don't know. You're looking about four thousand something like that. Um, since November, so maybe maybe October about four thousand. Um, there around that ballpark, maybe maybe a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's it's been tough. It's been tough. Like luckily, I've had family to help me and stuff with it. Um, you know, I'm I'm self sufficient at the moment, but at the start, I needed a hand because I was just like it was all very fast. I need money type of thing. I need to go and do this. Um, so I was lucky to, that I had family to help me. Some people have to take loans out, don't they? And that just puts another pressure on and stuff to pay pay the loan back and interest and things. Thankfully, I had uh, my auntie to help me and stuff and to borrow it, to lend me the money. Um, but it does it, but it, I can't imagine how bad it is for people who have got families and lose their jobs and stuff. Like it's it's horrific what people have to go through. It, it's it, it's literally coming from all, all angles. So if you've got a family to bring up, you got your family, then you lose your job, then you're in debt, and then you're ill, and then how would you make your appointments? And then you're looking for private consultants. And what if that treatment doesn't work? Then you've got to get another treatment. It's just an absolute mess. The whole thing is a mess. Yeah, that's what so so many people go through time in and time out. Like it's it, it's it's really it's really a shame. And also, like to speak about, I know you said you had a lot of help from your aunt. Like just like the think back, like through this process, like like before you you get sick and everything. Like you got friends, you got your social life and everything. Like how how was everybody taking this as you're starting to get sick and progress through your sickness starting to get worse and worse? Like how how are your friends and family taking everything? Are, are they supporting you? Do they not believe you? Are they still there by your side? Like how was that? How was that process of things? What baffles me is that even after you've been diagnosed, you still get some people minority, but you still get some people who think that it's in your head, and um. And that, that that does that does baffle me still. I'm just like, you know, why would you why would something be going on for so long? And you're taking antibiotics which damage your body. Um, why would this be, you know, some kind of placebo effect? It doesn't it doesn't make sense. Um, but most people have been good. Most people. Um, you know, when you, you find out who your friends are when something like this happens, because you know, it brings it brings your smaller circle closer. Um, so I do have a, a small circle. Now I used to have a larger circle, I have a smaller circle. Um, but yeah, you get a lot of a lot of naysayers, people who just doubt you, people who just believe what the healthcare system say because you've done a little bit of research and you think that like, oh, you know, you should have been healed by now, and you know, you're like, why why are you still sick and things like that. But the bottom line is like, you've got to be open minded. You know, I don't point the finger at these people because I just think, you know, it is what it is. You know, you're either with me or you're not. But people people need to be open minded in these situations and. You do find out who's, who's open-minded and who isn't, and um, I think being that narrow-minded, it, you know, it's no, it's no good for your relationships because you know you just trust them. Do they trust you what you're saying? Do you trust what they're saying? Like it just, it does, um, it does create distance between you and a few people that you want to be a little bit closer to. But um, it's difficult. It's the and with family as well. It, it has a massive effect on your family. Um, we don't believe you, and then you do believe you, and you know, do 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 they know what it's like? what you've been through did he did he know it's that bad um i don't know because it's it's one of them because you look so well some days and some days you're absolutely fine they just think oh it's okay he's all right you know he's, he's better now uh, and your friends and then you, you do can't you don't hear from people for ages months and months and months and you're still proper sick but it's because like they've seen you that once they think he's okay you know he's okay. i've seen him I, you know i've seen him yeah we, we have some food together he's okay um so they just don't understand it, and I've learned to accept. At first, you're a bit, you're a bit like, "Wait, hang on a minute." That people know I'm sick. Why? Like, not like everyone, but you close, you close circle. There's a couple of people who just like kind of drift off, and everyone's getting on with their own lives, so it's understandable. But as time goes by, you realise as you get less sick and you start to come more into their world, you start to think, and it's you know what they just literally don't have a clue. <laughs> they don't understand it. Um, and no one will understand it until you go through it. There's absolutely not. Even if you've had a partner, I mean, I'm I'm single. I was single through the whole thing. Um, even if you had a partner, they they even seeing you that sick, they they're never really gonna know how bad it is. 
because it's it's not like anything else. I've had people say, oh, it's it's similar to anxiety. Symptoms are very similar to anxiety. It's nothing like anxiety. It's nothing like it. anxiety is like a symptom of Lyme disease. It's just it's it's not it's just not the same thing. And um, you know, every, every, what people go through, everyone goes through their own struggles, and you know, all these different diseases. People have no one's gonna really know what it's like unless you go through it yourself. No, you but you hit that hundred percent right on the head. Like I said, like you, like you don't wish it on anybody, but like you won't you don't get it until you, unless you get it, and you don't want anybody to go through that. So you kind of just give up with the fact like they just don't really understand what I'm going through. Just hopefully they're my true friend and will be there for me. So I, I definitely understand what you're saying, but, it, but that's good though. You said you had people that were in your corner and family that were there to help you though. That's good. Cause a lot of people don't have that. So that, that's definitely a good thing to have. Yeah, definitely. No, it is. Yeah. It's good. It's good to have a close circle and just, just, you know, communicate. I think the key thing is to communicate. And sometimes when you're low, you, you don't feel like you can communicate and you think people pick up on things and you don't, you just need to communicate and say, you know, I'm really not well, I'm struggling and stuff. And that, you know, that's... if you need people there, that's the best that's the best thing to do is just be completely clear and concise with your friends and your family from day one and sometimes you don't have the energy to do it and it's good when people check in because sometimes you just don't have the energy to just recite how you feel all the time but if there's one word of advice other than sticking to your guns from you know your diet so from just before you get diagnosed sticking to your guns and going with your intuition knowing that you're unwell just go with your gut feeling and follow that other than that, I would say, you know, the one of the most important things is communicate with people, just be completely transparent with people. Yeah, that, 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 that's definitely a part where sometimes, like, that's, that's that's a hard thing for people to align to do sometimes, depending on which stage you are, because sometimes you're just angry all the time. But like you said, as long as you're communicating, you're good. So let me get back to the point where now you're saying you've been on antibiotics for about six months now. You're starting to feel a little bit better, like... How, how are you now starting to get back into your routine of things? Are you starting to get back into things you are normally doing? Or are you still like, how much How much would you say you are of yourself now, back of yourself now? How much would you say? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I'm, I'm like so much better than I was. Um, like, I feel, I feel 10 times better than before I was sick, to be honest. Because <laughs> as you know, like you change your diet and things, like your diet changes, you know, you start learning about inflammation and things and, you know, the herbs themselves are anti-inflammatory as well. But yeah, I like, I, you know, I try to do regular exercise. Um, not too much now because I've come off the antibiotics. You know, I try to get in the sauna a few times a week. I try to, you know, cycle and things. I don't run yet. I can't, I don't want to run yet until my knees are better. Um, my diet's a lot better, consistent. Um, my sleep is a lot better. Um, yeah, I just feel a lot better. And I've learned a lot about the body in that time as well, which has been beneficial. Um, but the neuro symptoms, where like the the muscle waste and the neuro symptoms were just so hard to shift, um. So it's nice to just be able to think clearly and be able to, you know, have my head on my shoulders when I wake up in the morning. You now I can I can think properly without constant brain fog. So it's good. So like, what do you kind of do like on a daily basis to give yourself a a, a relief, like to just a relief from symptoms or relief from anxiety or whatever? Like, what do you do on a daily basis to give yourself like a break from things? Yeah, so I've, I've just started music production. I've just bought some music software. So um, I'm looking to get back into that. So that's something I can do on the, on the, on the days that I am good. Which recently, I've been okay. So I've been I've been getting stuck in with the music. And then, um, you know, I, I do a lot of walking. Um, I've just finished the nutrition course as well. So I'm, trying, I'm focusing on fitness and diet. I've, I've literally just finished. That was like a 10-week course. I've handed that in. I've studied in college for that. Uh, finish that and that's potentially something that I might go into in the future um, is nutrition. So I've been, I've been busy. I, 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 t I tend to, I try to use the time off to learn, learn about the body, you know, listen to loads and loads of pod podcasts on like, you know, learning about nutrition and fitness and um, and things like that and discipline. So for me, like I've, I've tried to like, not like, you know, play PlayStation and stuff while I've been bored and stuff. I've been trying to learn as much as I can. Um, so it's it's good now that I'm able to like get stuff back into the music and stuff. Hopefully, I'll be able to start working next year as well. Music, man, I love it. I love it. How long have you been doing music? Um, so I've been DJing. I'll DJ and our music production probably about eleven years. Yeah. How'd you get into it? Yeah, I, just, I met people in uni. Like I, I met like a, I had like a solid group of mates in uni. And um, I just like connected with a few friends on my course, and uh, one of my one of my friends now she's she's a DJ, uh, Irish girl, 
me and her ran a night together. We started a night in 2012. Um, started running events every month in Liverpool. And um, that's how I started DJing, really. Just on the spot, really. Just learned there and then. That's something you want to kind of get back into, like full time, make a whole career out of something like that. Was that something you would like to do? Yeah, I mean, I'd like, I'd like, I was doing a lot of production before I got ill, so I'm, I'm literally getting back to it now, a year later. So I'd like, I'd like to do a little bit of that and and see how it goes. Um, and then if you know, if it, if it goes somewhere, it goes somewhere. Just you know, be a bit more active on my socials and and um, get stuck into the production. Maybe getting an, an EP out and stuff uh, early next year. And see how, see how it goes, yeah. Like, that's something I'd like to pursue. But the nutrition is something that I've realised that, like, that is something else I'm interested in because it's always good to have, like, other, other options as well. Yeah, that's definitely something you would like to keep in touch with for the rest of your life, nutrition, especially dealing with something like this. Even if you're not sick, you just always want to just take care of yourself. So, therefore, that'll help you fight off other things in the future. But music, music, music. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. How, yeah, do, you yeah. feel, how do you feel that, Um. well, do you feel that, when you got sick, did it interrupt your like creative process or you being able to make music? Did did that like have any effect with that? Did it like disrupt anything? You feel? Um, the neural symptoms or just just anything in general, like just anything line related. Just like did it interfere with like your ability to make music? Yeah, I found it really difficult to be creative. Um, when I was suffering, like so. I had, I had, I think it was like March, March, April. I had like two months where I'd done a lot of music and then I got bad again. So I relapsed. I was back in bed all the time and then I stopped doing music then from about May, July and I've started again now. So I've had a couple of months break. But because I know I'm, I'm definitely at the back end of it now. So I'm confident I can carry on. But when you're in the midst of, 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 of the symptoms, there's just no point because you, you can't concentrate all your work is. It's, it's not done properly and stuff. So your best just being fully focused. And that's why I've tried to be patient now. And thought if I'm gonna put money into doing it, I'll do it now when that now I'm a bit better. No, that's great. That's awesome to hear. That's awesome to hear. So what 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 are your like um plans in the future health wise? What do you have planned health wise? Are you gonna continue to still see this doctor? Do you have any other upcoming visits? Do you have any routine plans for uh, treatment plans, anything? Um yeah, yeah. So I've got a I've got a review basically. I've got another four weeks of antibiotics that are on the way, um. So I'm planning to take them alongside the herbals, and then I've I've got a review after that, and then once once that's done, well, just just have to see where I'm up to. I, I might need another blood test. I might not. He might think I'm okay, um. And then I'm just gonna go on the herbal protocol. I'm actually working with like Napiers now. I've got a herbalist who's who's like giving me, uh modified granules to take uh, for, for my infections and co-infections. So uh, I'm planning to take them, uh, you know, basically take them every day. Uh, plan to take them for the foreseeable when I come off antibiotics as well and um, and take supplements as well and just hope that it's, you know, keep it at bay really, keep it in remission as much as much as I can. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. No, another question I would like to ask you, um, if knowing what you know now, if you could, restart this process from the first time you started having those symptoms. Is there anything you would do differently? Um, Trusting the gut instinct, I think, is the most important thing. Um, as I say, like I, I felt like I relied on the NHS too much because I just trusted them and I just kept going back and back and back and back. Um, it, you know, it, it's 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 hard to tell what kind of infection it's going to be, and you don't want to just start popping antibiotics for the sake of it. But I would say maybe just trust your gut instinct as early as possible, and realize that you know you're going to have to you know go down the ad hoc route here and just just do your own research and figure it out because um, at some point, at some point, you know the door's going to get closed on you if you go down the road I did with this, and um, you're just going to have to do it yourself. I wish I would have just bit the bullets a little bit earlier. Um, and, and just, yeah, just just find, find like-minded people, you know, in groups and stuff and, and, and find, uh, and, you know, infectious diseases doctor, someone who you can rely on, someone who's near to you, um, and then, yeah, and trust the treatments. But, yeah, trust your gut feeling as, as much as possible, especially if you're ill for that long. No, that, that, that's, that's, that's great advice right there because you know yourself. Like, you go, we, go, we go see these doctors and – tell them everything was wrong with us. And then they just spit back out a couple words, not feeling or not knowing anything of what's going on with us. So like, 
That's 100% correct. Trust your gut, trust yourself. If they're not listening, go find somebody who will listen. Also, like about this process, like what what have you learned about your what have you learned about yourself? I know it's kind of been like an ugly road, an ugly journey, but have you found anything beautiful out of this whole process? What have you learned about yourself on this ride? Um, yeah, I've, I've it, it is a life changing experience. Yeah, you 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 definitely pull out of it stronger. You have a completely different mindset. That's what I've learned. Um, it for me, it's just kind of you know it makes makes you realize that you know. How strong your mind is when you when you power through this, especially if your body's shutting down. It makes you realize how strong your mind is. It makes you realize what's important to you, um, and what you value and stuff in life. And it makes you realize how, how important your health is and that because you know until something like this happens, unless you unless you're really interested in becoming a personal trainer or working nutrition, you don't really really take much notice or enough notice. Um, so it, it does make you value your health and realize, you know, how important it is. You know, without health, we can't do anything. So, no, nah, that is one hundred percent correct. Because, but like, because like you said, when you were laying in the hospital and the doctor came in and said, like, there's nothing else you can do for you. you said you felt your hit rock bottom. Like you, you fought for yourself. You you got up and said you're not gonna take that. And so, like, you are a very resilient person. Like a lot of people. Would just give up. Like I talked to friends in my same situation. Like I don't know how you do what you do. Like I just would have gave up. So you can't give up. You gotta keep fighting. And one of the last questions I like to ask you is this: If someone you love found a tick on them, what would you tell them to do? What, what would you recommend them to do? If they found the tick, um, I would I would recommend find a removal to. Well, I mean, yeah, I haven't really got time, have you? But. <laughs> You need a removal tool to remove the tick. I'd recommend, you know, finding a lab where you can send it off for testing. And um, straight away, you know, if you have if you have symptoms and a rash, it presents as a bullseye, even better, you know, go straight to your GP. If you, if you don't have a rash, then, I mean, send the tick off for testing, you know, to find out whether it is infected or not. And um, keep an eye on your symptoms. And if you do have any symptoms... You know, you need you need to find a lamb litter to the doctor as soon as possible, um, because without a clinical di- diagnosis of your GP, you may have to go private. So keep an eye on your symptoms, keep an eye on the rash, and send a tick off as soon as possible. Definitely, definitely, that makes a lot of sense for the people out there. So you want to remove the tick, send the tick off for testing, find you a doctor, and keep an eye on your symptoms. Absolutely, yeah. So guys, I I, I can't thank. Uh... The two of you enough for joining me on this podcast. Clearly, you are were fantastic and brilliant as always as a, as a co-host. And uh, and Tom, what a great story and 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 a really uh, a powerful way of vulnerably sharing this experience with folks. So uh, we here at Tech Boot Camp uh, and our entire community, thank you, Tom, for joining us uh, in the middle of the night there at the in uh, in the UK. And Khalil, as always, we really uh, we really love you and thank you for all you do for the Lyme disease community. Love you guys as well. And nice to meet you once again, Tom. Thanks for showing up. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.